Hello, and welcome to Making Christ Known, a podcast from Adairsville Baptist Church in Adairsville, Georgia. This podcast features senior pastor Eric Sorrell and his sermons designed to make Christ known in Adairsville and beyond. For more information about Adairsville Baptist Church, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. And now, here's Pastor Eric. First Timothy. We're using the Black Pew Bible. That's on page 991. Again, that's our gift to you. It'll be on the screen. But First Timothy's page 991. It's a great day today if you're joining us because we are beginning a brand new sermon series in First Timothy. If you were here last week, we just looked at the life of Timothy, and we actually went to three other New Testament books, and we looked at who is Timothy, and we discovered maybe there's more to Timothy than what we once thought or, you know, or knew about Timothy. And so we kind of got this guy's character of how he really did honor God. He, he really was a, a selfless servant as he was pastoring the local church there in Ephesus. And he went to a lot of cities with Paul. But what we're going to do is we're going to walk through 1 Timothy just verse by verse. And we'll get to some hard verses that, that I'll give you just the different interpretations. But it's going to be a great way to study the Bible. Now obviously for Palm Sunday and for Easter Sunday we'll take a break and, and we'll, we'll hit on relevant themes on that day. But 1 Timothy is where we are today. Let me go ahead and give you the theme of the letter, and you actually see a good representation of the theme in that picture. The theme of the letter is found in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you, Timothy, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave, or one translation says conduct himself, in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. This is the theme of the letter. It's all about leadership and ministry in the church, which is the pillar and buttress of truth. You know, a buttress, that, that arch type thing that gives the support, that holds it up. And obviously we have the picture of the pillar. First Timothy's about the local church. And I think that's appropriate for us is because I'm excited for 2023 to be this great year where we're on God's mission. But to do that, we have to say, let's make sure that we're a healthy church. What is the local church to be like? So, let me give you an overview of this letter. It was written in the year 62 or 63 by Paul. He's writing from the city of Macedonia or that area. And the letter contains several sections. We could say that it has sections on church fundamentals, church worship, church leadership, and church relationships. And he'll talk about church relationships, everything from elders and widows to money to false teachers to uh, you know, uh, your pastor, everything. He's going to talk about a lot of different relationships. But church fundamentals, we're going to see the side of that today. Church worship and prayer and then church leadership, deacons, elders, a deaconess, perhaps. We'll talk about that. We'll get into chapter 4 and look at some, some false teachers that had to be de dealt with. Um, but we'll deal with all those church relationships. So it's all about the, the church. First Timothy, it begins this way. Paul, an apostle, sent one of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope to Timothy, 
Talked about him last week, and we talked about this verse. My true child in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to begin today with a story or perhaps an illustration. I want to tell you about the Cathedral of St. Peter of Beauvau. The Cathedral of St. Peter of Beauvau. It is in France. It was built in the 1200s. You see a picture of it there on your screen. But it, in the 1200s, in in the race to be one of the biggest and the highest and the best, it it remained incomplete. It it was ultimately uh, an incomplete sort of a failure, if you will, due to collapsing buttresses. It had uh, flying buttresses, if if you will, that supported, and those collapsed. It suffered not just one collapse, it suffered two collapses. So let me read what one historical account says about this. Its designers had the ambition to make it the largest Gothic cathedral in France, victim of two collapses, One in the 13th century, the other in the 16th century. It remains unfinished today. Only the choir and the transept have been built. The planned nave of the cathedral was never constructed. Today it's actually been reinforced to prevent further collapse. You can see some of the reinforcement on the outside if you studied it. And if you look at the inside pictures, they've actually put some interior reinforcement because they don't want it to collapse. Bad pillars will ruin a church. You understand? Bad pillars (laughs) ruined that church. Bad pillars in a church will, will ruin it. Paul says to Timothy, I'm writing you this letter so you'll know how people can conduct themselves in God's household. We're household, brothers and sisters. He says, which is the church, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of of truth. What happens when, the, when, it, when it starts to crumble? What are the church fundamentals? So we're going to talk about that today. I think a lot of churches have adapted many false pillars and maybe false buttresses or false braces. What are some of the false pillars in, in churches today? Our, our emotional feelings. That's what holds up our church. If I feel something, and if I don't feel it, then that's the pillar. So I, I, go, to, I go to church to obtain a, a feeling. That's a bad pillar. That's a bad buttress. Some days it's going to hold, and other days it's going to crumble because I just ain't going to feel like it. Don't base your Christianity and your religion, even your spiritual life and spiritual growth, on your feelings, Right? And, and that's taught not even just in churches today, but even my daughter sharing a, a story. It's even, even our young people are grasping that. Oh, you need to feel something. And if you don't feel something, bad pillar, false pillar of the church, it will crumble. Uh, another bad pillar of the church today is the personality of a pastor or a worship leader or a staff member or a leader, right? So what happens when he fails? That's a bad pillar. Right? When you put all of your everything around that, that guy on stage, that musician, that leader, that director, right? That's a bad pillar. It's a false brace of the church. Music performance. When did the church become theater? When, when did churches adapt a stage? When did churches adapt seating in this arrangement? It hasn't always been, right? When did we, we, we took 
things from the theater and we moved them into church and it stayed that way ever since, right? But when did, it, when did we get out of the round? When did, it, when did things move from discussion to lecture? Now I'm kind of rambling. But, but that's, a bad, that's a bad pillar, right? Um, performance. Either a pastor's performance, a stage performance, music performance. Boy, that's in a lot of churches today, right? Not a good pillar. Another one, a certain program. Well, our church has done this program for, for you know, whatever it is, a feeding ministry or a wana, or it could, it could be something good. But there are a lot of churches that if that's, your, if that's what you're basing everything on is that program, that's, that's not a good buttress of the church. Um, money, right? Not a good support of the church. It's helpful, but that can fail. Money's not the pillar of the church. Uh, a false teaching or a doctrine. There are a lot of churches that build their denomination on a false teaching, a false doctrine. This is our doctrine, and everything we hold is on that. And if it's if it's not a good one, right, it will it'll crumble. Um, there are others we we don't you know our denomination is not the pillar of the church, right? I'm I'm you know I grew up independent, but like I'm not a Southern Baptist first and foremost. I'm a Christian first and foremost, right? We're an independent church, right? If our denomination crumbles, that doesn't stop anything here, right? I mean, that's not the pillar of, of, of what we do is our denominational meetings. No, no, no. Technology is not the pillar of the church, right? We kind of make it important, but even if we can't do, can't, that's not the pillar of the church. Well, you can't have church if you can't do some kind of live stream, or you can't, right? That's not a support of the church that's, right? Even our traditions, it's not a good pillar of the church, right? These can all fail, just like St. Peter's of Beauvau or Beauvais. Um, today we're going to look at this. We're going to look at two true pillars of the church. I want you to see that today in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Two true pillars of the church. Obviously there are many, but we're going to see two of them. The Apostle John, when he writes right away, says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So maybe you already recognize the two true pillars of the church. Number one, first pillar of the church is the pillar of truth. So let's just put it up there today. Maybe something to just help us remember it visual. The pillar of truth. He's already said it in 1 Timothy 3, 15. It is a pillar. The church is a pillar and a buttress of truth. Even in our society, we are the pillar of truth, right? If the church stops preaching the truth, what happens to society? It crumbles, all right? But I want you to see it right away as he begins his letter. And so we're going to pick up verses 3 through 11. So we read verses 1 and 2. Look at verse 3. Paul says, As I urged you, Timothy, when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, remain at Ephesus, that you may charge or command certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, any different theology, nor to devote themselves to myths, endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Key verse, verse 5, the aim of our charge. Timothy, my charge to you, but also the charge that you're going to do. The aim of our charge, of our command, of our, of our gospel preaching and teaching, the aim of our charge is love that issues or flows from three things, 
a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul says, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying about these things or by which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound or healthy doctrine in accordance with the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I see in those first 11 verses that the Apostle Paul is going ahead and he's establishing a true pillar of the church. There is a pillar of truth. He says, Timothy, I need you to stay at Ephesus. You need to pastor the church at Ephesus, and he would. And he would do a great job there. But stay there, and he says, and you need to remain at Ephesus, verse 3, so that you can charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Apparently some false teachers rose up, and they were starting to teach some some different truths, so-called truths. Right? We have that today. But Timothy is there in Ephesus. 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 Modern-day Turkey, I believe. A difficult city to minister in. It was a commercial city. There's a lot of commerce, trade going on there. It was located on the seaport. It was a booming city at this time. It had a huge library. It had a theater. And as you probably know, Ephesus contained one of the seven wonders of the world. It was the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. And so in this city, there were two things that were abused, money and sex. Now, money and sex aren't sinful, right? Or a lot of us are in, are in trouble. It's the abuse of money and sex. And in Ephesus, they were great at it. At the Temple of Artemis Diana, they were great at abusing that with, with different sexual things that went on. The money, it, it, was, it was sin in this city. It must have been hard to be a pastor in Ephesus. But Timothy's urge to stay there. Look, why? Because you need to correct some things. You need to set that pillar of truth, man, right there. They don't need to devote themselves to all the the crazy things that that they were doing. He says, command them, charge them not to teach any different doctrines. What are the different doctrines then? What are the different doctrines today? Obviously they look different, but we have different doctrines that are being proclaimed in our day. They had theirs, we have ours. Today some churches teach different doctrines about salvation. They say, this is how you're saved, right? This is the work that you do. They have different, different doctrines about works. There are churches today that have different doctrines about spiritual gifts, different doctrines about sin or what's not sin, right? There are a lot of churches today that, that may have different doctrines. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, there's got to be a pillar of truth. You've got to stand for it. This is the truth. Don't swerve from that. There were five things, he tells us. Did you catch them in the text? Five things that the false teachers were doing. Verse 3, different doctrines were being taught. The second one is in verse 4. Nor to devote them, charge them not to devote themselves to myths. Number one, different doctrines they were teaching. They were also teaching uh, myths. 
The third thing, and endless genealogies. They got into that. They were doing this, well, you know, we're related to this an ancestor of Israel and whatever. He's like, that's it promotes nothing but it's a speculation. It's not the stewardship from God that's by faith. If you went down to verse 6, you would see another one that they were doing. They had these vain discussions. He says, certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion. It doesn't profit anything. And then the last one in verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying about the things which they make these confident assertions. They were failing to use the law properly. So, Five things the false teachers were doing. They were teaching different doctrines. They were teaching myths. They were devoting themselves to endless genealogies. They had vain speaking and vain discussions. And then they failed to use the law correctly. In the latter part, in verses 9 through 10, where he begins to talk about those unholy and profane, those who strike their fathers and mothers, murderers, sexually immoral, some see there the Ten Commandments, right? Misuse his name. Honor your father and mother. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. So some are, seeing, some are beginning to see parallels in 9 and 10 of how he's sort of referencing right, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. We must have a pillar of truth. And he says, Timothy, and one of the reasons you're there is to, to help the church be the pillar of truth. You've got to correct some of the false teaching that's going on. You've got to address some of those different doctrines. Today, what the world needs to know, what the church needs to know is this. The Bible is our source of truth. The Bible, right? Sola Scriptura, the great cry of the Reformation, only Scripture. This is our source of truth. Not I have my truth and you have your truth. Eh, That's bad theology today, right? Well, what's true for me might not. No, this is the truth. The only truth, right? The Bible is our source of truth. But how many of you know this, that truth and love have to go together? And this is what he says next. Truth and love must go together. Look at verse 5. I told you it's a pretty key verse here. When you study it in the original language, he says in verse 5, the aim of our charge, the aim of our command, what is the goal of gospel preaching and teaching and correcting that we do here or in classes or out? What is the goal? The aim. The aim of our charge is love. We we have to have love with the proclamation of truth. Truth and love go together. What's the goal? Love. And he says three things about that. The aim of our charge is love that flows from a pure heart. That comes from a good conscience. That issues from a sincere faith. A genuine faith. Faith. Your love has to contain truth, right? Otherwise, it's just sentimentalism, right? Or it's just love with, right? Love has to have truth. So, as you read that verse, ask yourself this question Do you have a heart that's made pure? It can be today by the gospel. Do you have a conscience that's right? You can be at peace with God today. We can tell you how. Do you have a faith that's, that's genuine? You can. The right kind of love flows from those three things. A heart made pure, a conscience that's right, a faith that's genuine. That's the right kind of, of love. A love that's, that's based on truth, that's supported by that pillar. So, can I show you three things that we need from the text? Number one is this. We need a genuine faith, verse 5. We need a genuine faith, a sincere faith. That's what these, these in Ephesus needed. 
We all need, number one, a genuine, sincere faith. Number two, we need a good conscience. He said that in verse 5, but he also says it in verse 19 where he'll say these words, holding faith and a good conscience. We need a genuine faith, but we need a good conscience made right by, by God. And then, lastly, the third thing we need is a grace-filled heart. We need a genuine faith, a good conscience, and a grace-filled heart. He says in verse 14, the grace of our Lord, Paul says, overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So we pray these things for us. We need a genuine faith, a good conscience, and a grace-filled heart. So the first pillar is the pillar of truth. But as we talk about a grace-filled heart, we can look at the second pillar. The second pillar that we're going to see in chapter 1 is this. He talks about the pillar of truth, but it leads him quickly to talk about the, the other pillar of the church is a pillar of grace. Right? Not grace void of truth and not truth void of grace, but they go together. But the second pillar is found in the next few verses. Let's look at the pillar of grace. In thinking about grace, Paul's going to recall some things. So let's see what he says. Look at verse 12. He's already blessed God in verse 11. And so he says, I thank Him, I thank God, verse 12, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. If you're here Wednesday night, we looked at the conversion of of the Apostle Paul. Go back and think about that. I thank Him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer. I thought the Christians were blaspheming, and so I wanted to kill them. But now in retrospect, I see that I'm the blasphemer, that I was actually the one that was in the wrong. Formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Watch this verse. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's a Christmas verse for you in March. Why did Christ come? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am the foremost, the chief. But I received mercy, oh thank God, for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life, to the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And let the church say, He says, Amen. A beautiful benediction. It leads Him to flow to that beautiful verse, a verse of praise. We'll see about three of those in the book. It's a great way to outline it, perhaps. The pillar of grace. He talks about the pillar of grace and he gives his own life story. And in thinking about grace, Paul recalls two main things. Here they are. Number one, he recalls his sin, right? How many of us, when we sing Amazing Grace, we recall our sin? Saved a wretch like me. I remember my past. I remember the sin. And he remembers his sin. What were the three former titles that he calls himself? He says, I was a blasphemer. Oh, against God, against Christ thought I was doing him a favor. I was a persecutor, even unto death. 
was terrible. And I was an insolent opponent. He thinks about his sin and he, he realizes, I have sinned against a holy God. I've sinned against Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Have you recalled your sin and said, Lord, I'm a sinner? That's the first step to become a Christian, to, to admit to God that we've sinned, that we've all done wrong, that we've all broken those commandments, that no one of us has gotten it right all the time and never sinned. He says, I'm going to recall grace, but in order to recall that grace, I've got to recall my sin. And then secondly, he recalls his salvation. He says, but I received mercy. Remember there on the Damascus road? I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief, but, but he experiences God's mercy, verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. He gives the gospel, verse 15, it still saves today. We need to believe this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul saw himself as a sinner and a saint. We always see ourselves as both and. Even until we get to glory, we're always going to be both and. Some will say, I'm no longer a sinner, I'm a saint. Well, that's wrong. I'm going to continue to be sinner and saint. I'm a saint and I'm a sinner until I'm made perfect in glory. He sees himself as a sinner and a saint, but he goes back and he says, I, I, I see God's grace, I, re, I recall my sin, I recall salvation. And then he says this, look at verse 16, the wine. I receive this mercy for this reason, that in me, I mean, man, if, if Paul could be changed, anybody could be changed. The foremost, what was Jesus Christ doing? He, might, he was displaying his perfect patience. How many parents in here, we, ain't nobody got perfect patience. I don't, <laughs> right? Oh my goodness. Jesus Christ was displaying His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. I ask you this question today. Have you experienced the grace and mercy of Jesus? Does your heart know it? Do you know the grace and mercy of Jesus? That Christ Jesus came in the world to save. Put your name there, you. Jesus is our source of grace. Where's our source of forgiveness? Christ. In Christ alone. Jesus is grace. Jesus is mercy. Jesus is God's perfect patience with us who doesn't want any to perish but all to come to eternal life. He's given us time. Today's the day of salvation. Don't wait, right? Be saved today. So in chapter 1, I begin to see Paul establishing. Hey, Timothy, do you know what the fundamentals of the church are going to be? It's not going to be you, Timothy. Although we'll talk about leadership in chapter 3. It's not going to be the music and the We'll talk about prayer and, and other things. But, but Timothy, what, what's going to be the pillar of the church in Ephesus? And by the way, the Temple of Diana had tons of columns like this. Paul knew what he was doing right into their context. He said, the, the pillars are going to be this. Establish everything on truth and grace. On truth and grace. You, you, you start there, man, that's going to be a good thing. And so he starts, lay the truth, preach grace. And then it leads him to verse 17. Look at it. Now to the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The pillar of truth and the pillar of grace calls Paul to give the first of three benedictions. It causes him to worship to just spring up in his heart and he says, now to the King of ages, he is immortal. He is invisible. He is the only God. He speaks of God's transcendence. 
That means that God is so, so much higher uh, than us. He, he's, he's above us. So in this benediction, God's, God's transcendence and His greatness is glorified. God is so high above mankind, and it just leads Him to that. It, I'm kind of giving you some little rabbit trails. You can go down them later on, but, but the other, it, it really is a neat one to see about the church and the theater and how when did church turn into more of a performance-based thing. Another thing to study in church history is this. It's the pendulum swing of transcendence to eminence. At one time, even from cathedral, the, the focus was on transcendence in church. You to walk, walk in and to go, God is holy and great and big and so much greater. And so everything from the architecture to the way they did their liturgical, th- just everything was focused on the transcendence of God. And that's right. It, and, it's, and it's true. There was this pendulum swing even in church history, though, where we brought Jesus as his eminence. Oh, he's near and he's my friend and he's right here with us and, it's, and he's personal. Now, they're both true, right? But even in church history, history there's, there's, that, there's that pendulum. Well, which one's right? Well, they both are. Just keep a good balance. Remember that God is transcendent, but He's also imminent. And I don't focus on one to the exclusion of of other. Now, that's a rabbit trail for you to go down later on, but it's it's a neat one to talk about. But here, the pillars of truth and grace lead Him to go, and I'm going to focus right now on God's transcendence. At Christmas, His imminence, and other times we preach about His imminence too, that He's with us, and, and that's right. As we close today, Our church, our local church, has to be built on truth and grace. If not, the spiritual growth will crumble. If not, the spiritual growth will collapse. I'm not saying the church will will collapse. I'm not saying that that those types of churches crumble, but the spiritual growth will. Money can hold it up for a while, and so can personalities. But if, if we don't have the right pillars in place, the spiritual growth will crumble, and it'll remain incomplete, just like that old French cathedral. Paul ends that first chapter with this warning. Look at it, our last little section, verses 18 through 20. It's a concluding warning. He says in verse 18, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy. Wow, the weight of him being a pastor in Ephesus and trying to hold up truth and grace for people to preach that. Paul's trusting him. He's saying, this is the charge, the command that I entrust to you, Timothy, my child in the faith, right? My son, we looked at that last week, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you when he was ordained and they laid hands on him, that by them you may wage the good warfare. How many of you know Timothy was in a fight for truth? How many of you know today we're in a fight for truth in America and our society? In churches. He says, You've got to wage a good warfare. You've got to fight a good fight. What does he say in verse 19? Holding faith, that genuine faith, and a good conscience. You've got to hold to that as you wage the good warfare. A genuine faith, a good conscience, a grace filled heart. Now, watch what he does. He'll do this several times in 1 and 2 Timothy. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Maybe it was never genuine faith to begin with, and it just kind of showed. They've kind of shipwrecked their example, but he says this, verse 20, "...among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, maybe put outside the umbrella of the church, that they may learn not to blaspheme." In 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you're going to see this about the Apostle Paul. I've said it before. He's not afraid to name names. 
Right? And he will in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. How, how do you like that? Congratulations, Hymenaeus and Alexander. You made Scripture <laughs> forever as a bad example. <laughs> you have shipwrecked your faith. You did not hold to the pillar of truth. You swerved from it. You did not have that pillar of grace. Maybe they were getting caught up in some of those five things that the false teachers were doing. And Paul's not afraid to call people out. Maybe we need to be better at holding people to the standard, right? Of saying, yeah, and, and you know what? That's not right. That's not takes boldness. As we close, my... my Encouragement to us as a church, fight the good fight, keep fighting the good fight, hold tightly to truth, and hold tightly to a gospel of grace, not works. That's the gospel. We're going to continue to see it. Timothy, write to you so that if I'm delayed, if I can't come to you in a matter of time, I write to you so that one may know how he ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. We you bow your head and close your eyes as we get ready to pray and, and to dismiss and sing? This morning I want you to think about grace. Do you need it today? Do you know it? Have you experienced mercy? Today you can. Do you, do you have a heart that's, that's made pure? My heart's not pure and your heart's not pure either. It has to be changed and made pure. We have to be forgiven. Do you have a conscience that's right and at peace with God? Can, can you say today that, Pastor, I need a genuine faith? Well, I want to invite you to that verse, 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Step one is this, is that today you and I acknowledge that we've sinned. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's what the Scripture says. Today, would you do that and say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Lord, I know that I continue to sin. I don't get it right all the time. Just like Paul remembered his sin, go back and say, Lord, I remember that I once was this title and this title and this title. So the first thing today is admit to God that you're a sinner. But the next thing is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the, the way, the truth, and the life, that He is the one full of grace and truth. And that you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, will you show me that perfect patience through the cross? Will you show me that perfect mercy through your shed blood and through the empty tomb? Do you know that grace today? You can admit that you're a sinner and believe that Jesus is the way of salvation and cry out for that. Confess Him as Savior and Lord. Pray to Him and say, Christ Jesus, you came into the world to save me. Save me from my sins. And He'll do that. He will. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord in that way will be saved. It's faith, a genuine faith, not, a, not just a profession, a, a sincere faith. That, that means reliance on Jesus for salvation. Repent, turn from your sin, and turn to Christ for salvation, and you'll be saved. And we invite you to that today. Church, stay at that strong pillar in 2023. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Making Christ Known. We invite you to join us again next time for another sermon from Adairsville Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at adairsvillebaptistchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.